Let's transition with prayer, shall we? Father, it's, um, it's been good to gather together, know that you are here. Know that um, for us, there is an audience of one, it is you. We've come to praise and worship because worthy is your name, to be praised and honored and glorified. And our Father, we are so grateful for your great and magnificent love for us. Lord, thank you for reaching down to live among us, to love us so much that you would send your son to die for us. Lord, we want... We want to know in our own lives what it is you want to do in our life, what it is you really want to accomplish with us in light of all that you've done for us in rescuing us from the slave market of sin and darkness and putting us into your marvelous and magnificent kingdom of light. Light and life, Lord, that we might live to the fullness of that light and life. It is our desire. It is your desire for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would teach us, show us. We want to know. We want to hear your word. Father, we've come with thirst in our hearts. We must hear from you. We have to hear from you, Lord. And then, Father, to become the people you want us to be, that we might really infiltrate this region with the goodness of God. And so, Father, our our hearts are burdened in two directions for sure, that our own lives would reflect your goodness in life and that those who are lost would be brought into your kingdom and that you would find in us, Lord, the the raw material to be witnesses for you in in, in your kingdom, to be be, uh, those who move and live and work and act in this region in ways that bless you and honor you. And so, Father, I pray that you would really ready our hearts and prepare our lives and and make us what you want us to be. Consecrate us, Lord, for the coming days and the things that need to be done, the things in your name, that uh, the eternal matters, Father, that set before us. And uh, so, Lord, I pray now this morning that you would speak boldly to us from your word. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we know that that the proclamation of your word never returns to you without accomplishing its purposes. So this is a very purposeful moment. This is a time, Lord, when when we know you are going to speak to us and the Spirit of God is going to probe into our hearts and things are going to be accomplished and our lives are going to be changed. And, Lord, you are going to move us forward uh, step by step in ways that bring honor to you. So thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a game plan for this week that seemed pretty obvious probably to most of you if you were looking at, at the text of Galatians 5 and realizing that, well, last week we talked about the, uh, the works of the flesh and the listing of those and we examined them and God did a wonderful work in our hearts of repentance and, and, and uh, established for us the need to, to, to know what it is to, to honor the Lord with our lives. And so the most obvious and natural next step is to look at the fruit of the Spirit. That's what comes right after that. It starts at verse 22 and of Galatians chapter 5. And there's a listing there of the, of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and so uh, by Tuesday night, uh, I had pretty much the sermon all drafted out and ready to go, ready to roll. And then the Lord says, not so fast, Kimosabi. I hate when he does that midweek. I'd like him to do that at the start of the week. 
and basically laid it on my heart as I was looking at it and, and really, you know, searching the Lord for where we were going with this. He really laid on my heart that we're not ready to go past the phrase at the start of verse 22 that says, but the fruit of the Spirit. And um, I'm convinced the reason for that is that if we just launch into a description of the characteristics now of what it is to be a, a vital member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, there is a great danger that we might put a full court press of the flesh on and say, I, I, I'm going to do that then. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder to be more loving or more joyful or more, more peace, peaceable. I'll, I'll try to be more kind and, and more, long, uh, more self-controlled and long-suffering and all that goes into that. I'll, I'll just try harder to do that. And we've really missed the key ingredient that is found in that very first phrase, but the fruit of the Spirit, in contrast to the works of the flesh, are distinctly different. For a reason that goes beyond just the description of the characteristics. I think that... um, John Piper is right when he writes one of the great Christian problems is not learning the right things to do, but how to do the right things. And so there is a temptation for all of us to look at a listing of Christian characteristics and say, well, I'll just try to do that without really understanding how to do the right thing. It's not just about being more kind. It's about being kind by God. It's a whole different category. And so um, the good news is I have next week's sermon already. Unless the Lord pulls this again. Which he's entitled to do, of course. So in a sense, I'm preaching between verses 21 and verse 22. I can't recall ever doing that before. But that's what we're going to do this morning because we want to talk about the target or strategy for the life you've always wanted, in particular, what God wants for you. Under, under a question, really, that I think is, requires way more time than I'm going to give it, for you just to think about this. Can you do life without God? Can we do... Can we do church without God? Can we do what we're doing without God? Can we do this weekend coming without God? Can we imitate the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit without God? And as we think carefully about it, the danger is maybe yes. Or at least we can approximate it. That's not what God has in mind for us. God has something far deeper and far richer, far more real and authentic. And and what it really means to, as it says in verse 24, belong to Christ. There is a big difference between being a nice person, being a happy person, being a peaceful person, being a kind person, being a self-controlled person, and being a person who belongs to Christ. And so I was thinking about 
catchy modifiers to the word life. Because everybody wants to have a modifier to the word life now. You look at bookshelves, you, you, you pay attention to the, um, the uh, various self-help talk shows, and there's gazillions of them. People are all coming up with, with ideas of a great modifier for the word life. How you can have a really great life. It could be the, I don't know, let me think, uh, the purpose-driven life. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, there's the goal-driven life. There's desires-driven life or production-driven life or material-driven life or works-driven life. So I thought, well, I'll put my religious hat on and I'll come up with something that will be a great title for the sermon today and I'll give it to God's people and they'll all, ooh, isn't that cool? I'll talk about the spirit-driven life. And then I realized, no, that's not an ooh moment. Because I thought to myself, wait a second. There's nothing driven about the Spirit. He never talks about driving us. He talks about leading life of the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, but never being driven by the Spirit. So I had to put away my catchy marketing slogan and get back to the Bible. And what I realized is the goal that God really has in mind for us from the beginning of the book to the end of the book and highlighted in that amazing little phrase in Galatians 5.22 is, but the fruit of the Spirit. I thought, wait a second. You know what it really is? It's the fruitful life. That's what God wants for us. I would encourage you to follow along with me because the fruitful life is exactly what I think we'll find in the scriptures. It, it seems that as that phrase is just given to us, it's, it's like the fruit just comes along with the Spirit. If you belong to Christ, if you are led by the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, if you have life in the Spirit, if you keep in step with the Spirit, guess what? Comes along with that, the fruit of the Spirit. The works-filled life we learned last week of effort and expectations and disappointment makes a mess of our lives. It is what we naturally are inclined to do, but it makes a mess of our lives and poisons the relationships that we infect all around us. Because we know that the physical can never, ever transform the spiritual. No matter how hard we try, and we try hard, So what we really want to learn here and and know about is how can I go from a works-driven, filled life to a fruitful life? How can we make the break? How can it really happen in our lives? I I want to um, convince you that this idea of fruit is, is significant throughout all of the scriptures. We won't take the time to look at it, but... If we were to, and if you feel like it, Genesis chapter 1, right from the beginning, it it talks there about God's design for people from creation, Adam and Eve. What does it say to, what's the first command that he gives them? Do you know? Be fruitful. I'm not so brilliant. It was God's idea from the very beginning. Be fruitful. He says in the text right at the beginning, God blessed them. It was God pouring out his 
power and pleasure and joy upon them. He blessed them and said, from my blessing be fruitful. And then it goes on in the text in the first chapter of Galatians. He says things like, I will give. He says, I, I'll, make, I, I, I'll make trees that you can eat from. In fact, you can eat from all of the trees, except for one. You can eat from all of the trees of dependence upon me and obedience toward me, but there's one tree. That one tree is all about independence and disobedience. And about you um, being in charge of your own life and disconnecting from me. Don't pick that tree. Pick the fruit of the trees of dependence and obedience. And you'll be fruitful. We all know what happened. Instead of enjoying the fruit of obedience and disobedience, or dependence, they chose the fruit of disobedience and independence. Eve basically said, I want to be like God. I want to be in charge of my own world. And Adam was only too glad to join in that vision. And that fruit made them deathly sick. Literally. So instead of fruitful, man became fallen. Instead of being filled with God, they became empty. So God, in his amazing grace, and because he loves us so much and loves the world, what did he do? He sends his son on a mission, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that mission was to make people free from their terminal sickness of their fallenness so that they could become fruitful. That's the story of the scriptures. That's the storyline of the Bible. And in fact, um, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Romans, in, in Romans chapter 7, verse 4, says this about that. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might, guess what, bear fruit to God. You can track it in John 15, 8, Colossians 1, 6, verse 10. You can go on and on. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter uh, 7, for instance, talks about the very same thing. He talks about the distinction between those who really belong to Christ and those who don't. And what are the marks? Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 7. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from a thorn bush or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, he says again, you will recognize them. I could go on and on, but... The key reality is here that we are fruitful because of Christ. And Christ alone because of what he has done in our lives. In fact, Galatians 5 verse 1, Paul reestablishes the same gospel message. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. 
but we've learned that we have a conflict in our lives. We are attracted more to the flesh than we are to fruit. And why is that? Because our sinful nature keeps pounding away at our lives. And the Apostle Paul writes about that. We've taught about it. We've spent good time about this. Understanding the fact that we are in a battle with our sinful nature. There is the sinful nature pitted against the will of the Spirit of God. There is this consuming desire for us to embrace our flesh and even use our flesh or try to use our flesh for good things. When in fact, the Spirit of God is desiring for us to depend upon Christ and Christ alone. And so we have this ongoing conflict in our lives. We've become comfortable with junk food instead of the fruit of God's spirit. And here's what's added to most of us who know our Bibles and been hanging around church or know about Christianity. We know that not only should we prefer the fruit of God's spirit, but God wants us to bear much fruit. Like, isn't it enough? Is it enough to just get to the place where I'd want God's fruit? But now I, I read and I realize he wants to bear much fruit in my life. How can I do this? I know. I, I just got to try harder to be patient. I, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do this morning. I'm going to come into church. And I love to sit at the end of the pew. But you know what? Someone's going to come by and they're going to want to sit in the pew. And I'm going to say, oh, please allow me to move over so you can sit in the end. I'm going to appear more kind, but I'm going to think in my heart, you rotter. You know? I came early so I could get this place. You came late. There should be some sort of punishment for that. But I know I have to be kind because that's the fruit of the Spirit. And we're in church after all. And we walk out no more kind than we were when we walked in. Because it wasn't real. We uh, sort of compromise. We, we meet the pressure by trying harder by the flesh to belong to Christ. So we try to copy Christian conduct by outward acts. We look at each other and we say, well, okay, that's, I guess that's how you do it. Hoping to convert the flesh somehow by putting it under the law. Code can't change your heart. What, you think you could bring Satan to church every Sunday and somehow he'd finally decide to obey God? It doesn't work that way. Satan does come to church every Sunday. He knows the word of God better than pr- probably any of us here. Hasn't changed his heart. So... What's the hope for me then? So the result is we live a life of incredible frustration. I've talked to some of you. I know my own life. It's like, Lord, I, I want to I see victory in this thing. I, I really, wanted, I really want to, to live a life that would please you. I really want to. I desire in my heart what you have for me. But I know that one more Bible study, one more ushering assignment, one more push in my giving... One more saying yes to a service assignment, one more church service is not going to change the fact that I'm not desiring the things of God the way I ought to. I'm not desiring the word of God. I'm not desiring to pray. I'm I'm losing to the sinful nature. 
Surely, Lord, there's some, I'm missing something. What is it that I'm missing? Because we know for sure, all of us know this. We know that free spirit living of the fruitful life is what God's goal is for us. We know that. I noticed something that I've been struggling with for a long time to understand, and I think maybe it might be the key. In Galatians 5, verse 24, it says about belonging to Christ Jesus. Okay, I get that. We can't have this unless I belong to Christ Jesus. But then it says, those who actually belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. Ah. Never thought about that. With its passions and its desires. What does that look like? In other words, it seems to me... That in order for us to win this victory battle, before we even go on to talk about the characteristics of of what it means to to be a, 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 a victorious follower of Christ, it seems to me that we need a way to kill the sinful nature. Doesn't it? Isn't that what it seems to, to imply here as you read down that, that we have to engage in something? Something that the law can't do. Say, wait a second, I thought Christ took care of all of this at the cross. I thought our sins, I thought we were crucified with Christ. That's exactly what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. He says, I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I thought that was, yeah, but it says here, those who actually are buying into that, belonging to Christ, have crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires. So what, i got to try something new now? i got to try harder with this now? i got to try to crucify? Well, now, not so fast. Yes, Christ has won the victory. He has vanquished the foe. He has slain the beast. Satan is a defeated enemy. And he's laying there. And he's defeated the beast in your life. And it's hit the mat. But we continue to resuscitate it. We encourage it with our works of the flesh. We, a little jealousy here, a little envy there. It's just like putting an oxygen mask on the slain and vanquished beast. And it flails, even though it's defeated, it flails up. So what we really need in our lives is some way to no longer want to put some jumper cables on that thing or put that mask on or give it some encouragement in our lives. What does that look like? How do we do that? I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul is writing from his understanding of the teachings of Jesus Christ. In fact, the good news is Christ himself tells us exactly how this works. Would you please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15? Because that's where I want to camp and and complete our time together this morning. Uh, John 15, uh, basically the first eight verses is what I want to look at uh, this morning with you. Because Jesus has taught us here what we absolutely vitally need to know about what it is to experience the fruit of the Spirit and how we can do that. Jesus taught us not just to learn the right things to do, but how to do the right things. Makes all the difference in the world. In John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch. You listen to all the fruit language. You, li- you pay attention. Let the imagery of this, let the pictures of this invade your mind and heart. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that bears fruit, that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Jesus is the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, what does it promise us? He or she will bear much fruit. These are promises to you. Remember we talk about faith and trusting in God's promises. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me. And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I want to give you really quickly six key descriptions of what it means to embrace the nature of bearing fruit. Before we talk about what that fruit is. And the first is this. It comes out of the text. It says, without me you can do nothing. The first is quite simply this. You must finally face your own personal futility. You've been trying and trying and trying and trying. In Galatians 5, 24, he says, this is about those who belong in Christ. The question really is, does God have you and do you have him? And I'm not just talking about imagination. I'm not talking about, well, you know what? The God story, the Jesus story is a a really, uh, it's it's a, a neat fairy tale that I want so badly to believe in. We have scores and scores of people who are, who are like that. They see this, wow, that's a really happily, happy, happily ever after kind of story. I really desperately, I, I'd, I'd love to really embrace it. No, listen, listen. We're talking about, do you really have a relationship with the living Christ, uh, the living God through Jesus Christ? Do you really believe that Christ died for you and that your sins have been forgiven by Christ? This is a matter of really coming to a place in your life where you realize, I can't do this. I can't fix stuff. I can't change my life. I need Christ. And I really belong to him. You can't bear fruit by yourself. It's simply the law can't make this happen. A community can't make this happen. You can't come into church and have this happen because you are by osmotically with a bunch of people. You, you can't make this happen in your kids' lives. You can't make them bear fruit. You can, by the way, make them behave, but you can't make them bear fruit. You can't. There's no formula for this. It's not some sort of mechanical thing that happens. This is an organic life thing. This comes from God. And Jesus makes this a very strong case that I am the life giver. I'm the vine. You're the branches. You've got to be attached to me or you can't even get out of the starting gate with this stuff. And by the way, you've got to stay attached to me. That's the picture. 
And so that picture picks up intensity, I think, with this second idea that you must decide to fully trust in God and rely only in Christ. He says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine that will ultimately produce fruit. But you've got to be attached to me. You've got to completely trust and rely on me. You must make your life about Christ and have complete faith in him. The reason that... um, The the wording that is used here is is vitally picturesque for us. It talks about us bearing fruit. The word there means to carry forth. Or in popular vernacular, uh, to traffic. We can't make fruit. All we can do is carry it forth. All we can do is bear it. All we can do is bring it. But we can't make it. And the, and the, the, the challenge here is that, that we have this radical sense of independence in us that, I, that maybe I can make this happen in my life if I just try harder or do a few more religious things. And, and so we literally disconnect ourselves from the vine and become a branch that's on the ground. Say, I'm going to do it. I, I'm going I'm to make this thing happen in my life. And so there we are. A branch walling around in the ground. And let's, let's use the ideas of an apple as fruit. So the branch is laying there saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make an apple happen. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go to the apple market. If I hang around with enough apples, I'm going to become one. Or I know what I'll do. I'm going to read every day about apples. And, and as I read every day about apples, I'll eventually turn into one. And when that doesn't happen, I know what I need to do. I've got to memorize everything I read about apples. If I start memorizing everything I read about apples, then for sure I'm going to turn into an apple. When that doesn't happen, I've got to talk to the manager of that apple market. That guy who stands up and preaches about apples all the time, I've got to talk to him because maybe he could make me into an apple. If that doesn't work, I know what I've got to do. I've got to quit smoking. And there's no apples. We wonder, what's, what's the deal? Well, the problem is we, we've had faith in ourselves. Trusting ourselves, but not trusting in God. Not, not faith in God. And by the way, what this really implies here in the text is by, by connecting to me, remaining in me. In fact, uh, if you remain in me, the idea here is you actually want my will for your life. And a huge majority of us would say, yeah, I understand that. I think that's right. Yes, I want. But, but in the deep recesses of our heart, we're kind of afraid of God's real will for our life. It's like, what would God do if he actually had total control of my life? I mean, think about it. He might have asked me to do something that, yeah, you know what? He, he probably will. He's going to ask you to do things that were not your desires. Maybe weren't your passion. But Jesus, in this model, will awaken a stronger desire for God things than for your own passions and desires. But we're not finished. Jesus says more here. He says, if my words remain in you, you should expect... Or sorry, I wanna, I, I'm jumping ahead of myself. He talks here about pruning. Oh, how a tree hates that word. 
Pruning, does that, does that not sound painful to you? Most of us want to skip that part of it. Oh, I don't want pruning. It actually says here that, that, that all that bear fruit, he's going to prune so they'll bear more fruit. And, and, and the dead wood, he's going to actually cut off. So I look at this and I think, what, what is he talking? Um, what he's talking about here is uh, the Holy Spirit may lead you to places and spaces and faces that you really didn't want to be part of. He, um, he might lead you into situations that uh, potentially produce disappointment or pain. Because he says he's going to prune. So you can see before we get to this, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be loving and, and joyful and peaceful and kind and long-suffering and, and self-controlled. Wait, wait a second, don't, don't, don't jump the gun here. We kind of want um, the painlessness of good enough. Lord, would it be okay if I was just good enough? And then we read, oh, man, he doesn't just want good enough. He doesn't just want fruit. He wants us to bear much fruit. And I look at this and I realize that um, the vine intends to produce his fruit through the branches. So when I'm afraid of his will or his ways or his pruning, I need to think about this. He vitally cares for me and for you. That's what pruning is all about. The uh, orchard guy, whatever his job is, I don't know what his net title is. Anybody know? What, what do you call a guy? Like I know farmers. Or what do you call a guy who looks after an orchard? You don't know either, do you? All right, the apple guy, the farmer, the orchard guy. The orchard guy is, is, is pruning the tree so that he takes off the branches that are bearing nothing and, he, and the ones that are, are doing something. He's pruning so that the light of the sun can shine better on what's there to produce more fruit. talking to Scott Martin last night. He tells me he's reading a book by Ron Stackhouse. Making an observation about the state of evangelicalism. Saying this. That most of us settle for a perpetual state of spiritual adolescence. You know why? Because we really don't want the fullness of God's will or the pain of his pruning so that we could actually grow to spiritual adulthood and bear much fruit. And sadly, our, the, the impact church is having on a lost world is minimized because we want comfort instead of the pruning that God wants for us. And then there's a really scary thing here that says, and anything that doesn't bear fruit at all, gets cut off, dropped on the ground, gathered up, and burned. And all that simply means is this. No true Christian is fruitless. 
Otherwise, the true vine is failing. And Christ never fails. Not ever. He says here, um, you must also remain in my words. Jesus' word is the holy juice that flows spirit, life-bearing force into you. And sometimes it's hard medicine. But that's the connection. You can only be spiritually alive as you thirst for this flow. Oh God, pour your ways into me. Let me know what your heart is all about. And it's interesting to notice that, that Jesus gives us a picture of what real thirsting looks like. Thirsting looks like obeying, verse 10. And obeying is the way we love God and experience his joy. The joy of remaining in him. And it's the way we are willing to love one another. In verse 27, be witnesses. It's all tied together. That's what thirsting in God really looks like. You tell me you're thirsting God's word. What does it look like? It looks like obeying God's word. And when you obey God's word, you experience the love of God. And you experience the joy of God that, that, you, that you gain from remaining in him. And that, that joy and that, that, that experiencing of his love pours out into our lives so that we love one another. And then by the time you get down to verse 27, and here it says, then you're witnessing. You're testifying to the greatness of who I am. That's how it works. You're saying, so far... I've been trying all that. But I'm still losing a lot of the battle to the sinful nature and not, it seems, bearing the fruit that I think I should be. What am I missing? I think that the key to all of this that Jesus packages up in two verses, verse 7 and 8, is the vital reality of this. You can't belong to Christ by trying harder. You can't desire to have faith in him and trust in him by trying harder. You can't thirst for the word of God and obey him by trying to make it happen in your own life. You need divine intervention. I need divine intervention that is off the Richter scale. And I'm going to show you what it is right here. Because Jesus puts it out for us. Look at He makes a statement that's conditional and then has a promise. If. If you remain in me. In other words, if you fully embrace my will. And if my words remain in you. If you absolutely have faith in my ways. Ask God, and my Father will be glorified, and you will bear much fruit, authenticating your reality. None of this will get off the ground, Jesus says, unless you are praying in Jesus' name. Because everything that I've said to you is, is about certain human acts of, of desiring the ways of God, of, uh, of reading the word of God, of, uh, of wanting to trust in God. All of those can be generated from the human desire. But this takes it to the level of the divine when we actually say, Lord, 
I know I can't do any of this. I need you to do this in my life. Lord, cause me to desire your will. Lord, cause me to want to to embrace your ways and obey what you say. Lord, you do the work in me. And then he says, when you do that, my Father will be glorified. And you will bear much fruit. This is not a maybe. This is not, well, I hope it's going to work out for you. This is an absolute promise of the living Christ. If you do this, this will happen. And I would venture to guess that the most of us have not taken it upon our lives on a day-to-day basis, on a moment-to-moment basis, to make this whole issue a matter of prayer. To pray and ask God. To put all of this away from me, away from my flesh, away from me trying harder, to say, Lord God, I know this is your will. I know this is what you want from me. From the front of the book to the end of the book, you talk about fruitfulness. You talk about me being a bearer of fruit, not a maker of fruit. I need you, God, to do this work in my life. And I want it with all of my heart. If you remain, which is you are endorsing the things of God, and you welcome the word of God in your life, and from that context, pray, 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 asking God who alone can do this in your life. The Father is glorified by this, and you experience a fruitful life. Now, I don't think it's an accident that the Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul to use the word crucify your passions and desires. All of us know that crucifixion is a slow, painful death. You know what the problem with most of us is? Lord, I want patience and I want it right now. And if you don't give it to me, which is really ironic... I'm going to go and get it myself. I'm going to find a way to do it myself. Lord, I really want this. I want this for my life. And I'm going to go get it if you don't give it to me right now. Listen, this is the pruning. This is crucifixion. This is a slow, long process of your life that God takes you, as I said, in places and in spaces and in front of faces that you won't necessarily choose. But it will be God's choice for you to actually manufacture in your life the transforming work that he wants to do. And as you continue to give yourself and control over to God by saying, Lord, it's all about you. I want you to to take over my life. I want you to take charge of my life. He transforms your desires and passions so that they are being crucified and his desires and passions are taking over your life. I don't know of any other way this works. This is God's way. He he made us. This is how he has laid it out for us. And then finally, after, after you've prayed, then act. Way too many of us act and then pray. Oh, God, I really tried it on my own, but please fix this up for me. No, pray and then act. Act upon the commands of God's word. From the power of the spirit and not in the flesh. And give thanks to God. Can I close this up by saying this to you? Fruitful people 
will not lose this battle to the desires of their sinful nature. You will not. I'm not just making this up. It's right out of the Galatians, the Galatians letter. If you live by the Spirit, and that's what I'm talking about here, Jesus is talking about living by the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. Connection to Jesus Christ. If you live by the Spirit, you will not gratify the sinful desires. You will not. This is a promise that God gives to you. Christ makes fruit happen. And you know what? Fruit will just pop out of your life. That's how it does. That's how it works. I had one apple pop out of my tree in my backyard this year. One apple. One measly apple. But I was thankful for it until some squirrel stole it. I, I waited and nurtured that baby so long. Lynn said, you better get that apple. You only got one apple out of two trees this year. You better get that apple. I said, Lynn, I'm looking at this. This is a nice big apple. I want this thing to be rosy red. I am going to let this thing happen. I wake up one morning and it's gone. It's like, pfft. I lost all of my sanctification. <laughs> Not true. You know what? I did nothing for that tree. A little water, fertilizer, but the fruit pops. And that's what it is in our lives. It's truly, honestly, sincerely wanting the will of God in our lives. I mean, seriously. And wanting his ways and asking him to make it happen in your life. And the fruit will pop out of your life. It'll be put on display. That's what God does. And, and then he, he looks at us and says, look at, look at Jim, look at Lori, look at, look at Ken, look, at, look, at, look around. They're displaying the glory of God. My Father is glorified and you bear much fruit. It's his guarantee to us. I know I'm no other way to tell you. Father, I pray this morning that we would embrace this. The... the, the Nature of how you work, enabling us to bear fruit, Lord, setting us up for next week to be ready to hear what that fruit looks like, that we can't produce, we can't make, only you can. Lord, I just pray that we will put away our frustrations and stop trying to do this and get in this for the long haul, embracing all that you've given to us. Through Christ alone, I pray. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Are you hearing what you're singing? Here in the power of Christ. The power of Christ. The power of Christ. How can we participate in putting to death our sin? It is when we finally come to the place where we recognize our pride in all of this and pray. I know of no other uh, truly... Um, antidote to uh, pride than prayer. Can I put it out to you as God's people dearly loved by him? He wants you to bear much fruit. He wants you to win this battle over your frustration with your sinful nature versus the fruit of the Spirit. And the only way I know scripturally for all of this to take place in your life is to humble yourself every single day before God and say, Lord God, not my will, but thine be done today. Lord God, I want your ways. I want you to 
to make in me a trust and faith in your word that I'll be convinced your promises are for me. And Lord, I submit myself to you in prayer, calling out to the Lord, Lord, do in me what I can never, ever do in my own life. I couldn't save myself. I can't bear fruit unless you cause it to happen. I believe you have God's guarantee on this, that if you will do this in your life, you will not only bear fruit, you will bear much fruit. The Father will be glorified, and you will authenticate, prove yourself, disciples of Christ. That's the promise of Jesus to you. I know of no better promise. Lord, I offer this because you have given it to us. It's for us that we would bear much fruit. It's your delight that we would do that. You want this for us. You're not holding this back. This is not for ch special champion Christians. This is for every single one of us that we might bear much fruit. So, Lord God, um, I pray for our church. You have begun a great work in us, a great work of repentance. And now you have showed us how fruit is born. You're going to show us, Lord, what that fruit is. And I pray that you will cause us to bear much fruit and enrich by the fruit that pops out in our lives, the display of God to our region, that people might glorify the Father in heaven and might come to trust you as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.